Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 305 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Leslie Taylor. Leslie lives in northern Idaho, and she is a stay-at-home mom and grandma, and she's also worked as a freelance health writer, and she is now writing on Substack. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you for having me today. I'm so excited that I finally get my turn to tell my story. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you here. And you know, here's a funny story about that. You know how I had such a big waiting list for so long? Yeah. Well, when you go to two episodes a week, you must record two a week. <laughs> 
I actually was not recording to a week some weeks. So now I'm so caught up. So we're recording this. It's end of March. It's coming out in May. So everybody who's been thinking there was a giant long waiting list, it's not as long as it used to be. <laughs> so now would be a great time to email Jen at intermittentfastingstories.com if you've been wanting to tell your story because two a week is a lot more than one a week. I love it though. It's a lot of fun. But I would definitely want to talk about your Substack, which is about fasting. But before we get into all of that, I want to start by asking, as I always do, what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? So I first heard about IF around 2015 from my younger sister, Robin, who's always been on the cutting edge of health, but she was already very thin because years ago she had cut out ultra processed foods from her diet. And so I first just thought of fasting as only being for health. And at that time, I was not really that into health, which is really funny for me to say now because I, I really am. But I just thought, oh, Robin's doing one of her weird health things and I'm not really into health. So I didn't really. That cracks me up, Leslie, because, well, me too. You know my story. Everything was just about how fast can I lose the weight back in the day? And how, is this going to make me lose the weight? If so, I'll do it. If not, I'm not doing it. So now I'm all about the health too. I know. And I'm all about the health too. It was so funny. So I was like, I'm not into health and she's doing all these weird health things. So I'm not going to do that. But then what happened was then my older brother actually started doing OMAD and he did lose about 30 pounds. And so then I was like, oh, so this is actually a weight loss strategy too. So I got kind of interested in it, but this is so funny. There's a lot of parallels between your story and my story. I dappled in intermittent fasting from literally from 2016 to like 2022, and I had no results. And one of the reasons why is this is totally unlike my personality. Normally, I start reading books on a subject and I'll read like 10 books, but I did not read one book on intermittent fasting. And the reason is because in my mind, I thought like, all you do is you don't eat and then you eat. Like, why do you need a book to tell you how to like not eat and eat? Oh, that that is so funny. And you're right. I mean, your story is like mine with the dabbling. Because when you're dabbling, you never get fat adapted. It never gets to the easy. No, it never got to the easy. And I had really bad habits. Like I would sometimes break my fast. I kid you not with like a sleeve of Thin Mint Oreo cookies or like Thin Mint Girl Scout cookies, because I was like, I fasted all day. Now I get to eat these cookies. And now I know that I'm really sensitive to sugar and ultra processed foods, but I didn't realize that at the time. So I was just making my fast so hard by like eating junk. And I had this idea that you can eat whatever you want in your eating window, if you like fasting to me was like a way to eat junk food. Like the magic eraser. Exactly. Yeah. No, I get it because that was me. Like, you know, fasting erases whatever you eat. So it just is a matter of, and that's very common for those of us that may have had a long history of dieting. Would you say that that's true for you? Yes, I did have a history of dieting and I did really want to hold on to my sugar and my ultra processed food addiction. Although at the time I wouldn't have called it an addiction. I just thought it was a love of, of sugar, you know, but I really wanted a way to hold on to that and lose weight, but that just was not a possibility for me. And now I know that. So just a really quick little background was that I was thin in my twenties and thirties, even after having five kids, I got back down to like 130 pounds and I'm five, six. But one thing that shows up over and over in my story is that every time I went through a stressful time in my life, I put on major weight. 
And the interesting thing was that it didn't even have to be like a super stressful time. It was just kind of like a a kind of stressful time. Like we moved across the country away from family and friends. And I wasn't like, you know, clinically depressed or unable to function or anything like that. I was just kind of a little sad, a little displaced. And I turned to donuts, you know, I turned to sugar and cookies were my comfort. And I actually gained 25 pounds in six months just from moving to a new place and feeling a little lonely. When you say that, 25 pounds in six months, I gained 50 pounds in a year and a half when we moved. It was right after we moved, and it was a very stressful time. It was 2005 when we moved from where I'd been teaching for five years. We moved back to Augusta, but it was still a very stressful move, new school system. But yeah, my weight just went bam. It was also right when I was quitting diet pills, so there there were a lot of factors. But the stress of moving and being somewhere new, yeah, I get it. I wasn't even conscious at the time of me thinking in my brain, like, well, I'm a little sad right now, so I'm just going to go eat cookies. It just happened, like, without you even thinking about it. And then I don't know if this happened with you also, but when I gained those 25 pounds, after a couple of years, I was no, you know, we were settled and I loved where I was living. I was no longer stressed, but I was saddled with those 25 pounds. So it's not like it then when your stressful situation goes away, you naturally start to go down. No, no, I didn't either. That was when my real yo-yo years really started, you know, because I went up, I had been, when I, when we moved, I was right around, you know, 130-ish. And then 50 pounds, bam, suddenly I was bigger than I'd ever been. 163, other than when I was pregnant and like delivering Will in the hospital, I'd never been. 163 was like the highest I'd been, 165, not related to pregnancy. So here I was in the 180s and then it kept climbing higher. Yeah. So it it did not fall right off ever at any point when the stress was over. No. And I think for me, the one of the main reasons was because then I really was leaning into that processed food addiction and that sugar addiction. So that was there to stay. So then it wasn't like I was then going back to my old eating habits. Now I was stuck in some pretty bad eating habits. But if you spent time with me, you probably wouldn't think like, oh, she eats sugar all day long or anything like that. But for my body, it was too much. I was eating way too much. Well, and you know, it's a vicious cycle. You know, the word addiction is a strong addiction. I mean, a strong word, but When you're addicted to processed foods and sugar, it really does feel like alcohol addiction, drug addiction. It lights up the same parts of the brain, but a lot of it stems in the gut microbiome. Because prior to that move when you were having all the donuts and for stress, would you have said that you had a sugar addiction prior to then or did that really like exacerbate it? I would say that I've always liked sugar a bit more than I should. I've always had a draw to it because of the lighting up the brain. But I would say the gut microbiome thing, and just for listeners who don't know this, there's millions of neurons connecting the gut to the brain. And that those little guys who outnumber us, our own cells, one to 10, there's 10 times as many in our gut as our own cells. They send out the chemical signals for their own survival. And they're like, feed me. And that is so powerful. So I would say definitely that was when that whole thing got going in my gut. And what we eat feeds our gut microbiome to the point that it's like fertilizing. Whatever you send down fertilizes the kind of gut guys that like that. So you're sending down a lot of sugar. The, the gut microbiome, the gut bacteria that like the sugar proliferate, and now suddenly their cravings are stronger. So it might be coming from your own brain with it lighting up your brain, but now your gut is hooked as well. Your gut is hooked, and it's actually like... 
they've measured this in people's brains that it's actually sending you the signal that's saying like, you must eat it. So you think it's, the way I describe it is it's like being hacked. Like you think that you're actually wanting it, but your actual brain is being hacked by by these guts. I wanted to go in this direction knowing you had a medical writing background. I figured you would have the ins and outs of that. But so many people don't understand. They think that they're weak. Something's wrong with them. Why are they struggling with this? And really it's like you said, they're hacked from their gut sending out the craving for this. And it really helped me to learn that because then it made me feel like I just wasn't so weak, but that I needed to make war with these bacteria and that I needed to win the war. And it's interesting because there's been all these studies about people who are overweight and unhealthy, the different kinds of flora that they have compared with those who are healthy. And those who are healthy have many different kinds, like many different strains Whereas those who are unhealthy and obese have very few strains, and it's because the unhealthy ones crowd out all of the rest of them, the sugar ones. So you get more diversity in your gut when you can drown those little things. You can starve them to death. And you also mentioned that you were having a struggle with ultra-processed foods in general. And same thing, those also feed the gut microbiome you don't want. So the more ultra-processed foods and sugar that you're eating, the more... I guess the the population of your gut does not go the way you want it to. So I did Weight Watchers a couple of different times and I did lose the weight and gained it back afterwards. But the really funny thing about Weight Watchers is I figured out a way to game the system where I could still have like use my points for like ultra processed foods and sugar because you can kind of do that with, and I know they've changed over the years. This was actually 2010. So this was quite a while ago that I was messing with it. And I don't know how they've changed it now. But back then you could gain the system and kind of like keep your ultra processed foods addiction within the point. I'd have been doing it. And do they still have all those Weight Watchers snacks? Like those little, I don't know. I feel like they used to have Weight Watchers branded snacks. Probably they did. I don't think I bought a lot of them. Frozen dinners. I feel like they did. They're so processed. Yes, they're so highly processed. So I did Weight Watchers a couple of times and then I did keto, but I did a really bad version of keto where I was, I transferred my sugar addiction to all of the artificial sweeteners, which was a really bad transfer because they're just as addictive. And so I was making all of these like keto fat bombs with like stevia and erythritol and monk fruit and you name it. And it still had that physiological effect on my brain. So even it didn't have maybe the same effect on the gut, although it is really bad for the gut. I think it is. I think the artificial sweeteners are bad for the gut. I think they are. But if the pleasure center in my brain was the part of the problem too, it still lights that up. It actually was really affecting my insulin. And this is something that a lot of people like to get in arguments about whether or not artificial sweeteners affects your insulin. But so I'm like, okay, I have a story to prove that it does, at least for me. But I do want to say one thing about that. Anybody arguing about it, that's just silly because we we have those the rat studies that show when they clipped the taste, the nerve to the taste buds, the rats released insulin just from painting their mouth with the artificial sweetener. I mean, you can argue about it all day long, people, but <laughs> how did you know... <laughs> It's the people that they want to do the dirty fasting. And- I mean, just try it our way. Get the clean fast time. So I want to hear your story proving that. I can't wait to hear it. You know that you can't really test your insulin at home. You have to go to the doctor, but you can do your ketones and you can do your blood glucose. So back in the day when I was doing this keto thing, I had the Keto Mojo blood monitor, which I still have, and I was testing my ketones. And I was being super faithful about like keeping my carbs under 20 grams a day. 
but I couldn't get my ketones above literally like 0.2 or 0.1 or sometimes it even said low. And so I asked on one of the forums, I was like, guys, what am I doing wrong? And someone said, why don't you try cutting out the artificial sweeteners? Because they affect insulin. And so I cut them out as an experiment. And 24 hours later, my ketones shot up to 1.0. And so the thing about insulin and ketones is that even though we can't study our insulin at home, we can't test it at home, we know that those two are inverse. So like if your ketones are high, you know your insulin is low and vice versa. So the fact that all of a sudden I got ketones means like, okay, my high insulin was keeping me (laughs) from getting into the that the ketones. And, you know, scientifically, we understand that when we understand that high levels of insulin, we talk about this in Fast Feast Repeat, insulin is anti-lipolytic, meaning that it keeps your body from burning fat. It puts your body in storage mode, high insulin, storage mode, not burning fat. So you were having the artificial sweeteners, your body was pumping out the insulin in response to the sweet taste, the cephalic phase insulin response. So your body kept raising insulin and literally couldn't tap into your fat stores. And as soon as you stopped with the artificial sweeteners, bam, you had a high reading of ketosis because all of a sudden, insulin down, your fat stores suddenly are wide open, your body can burn them, make some ketones. That's a really good story. But I wasn't really successful on keto. So I was kind of one of the typical people who lost like the 10 to 12 pounds and then sort of plateaued. But what I had done, the Weight Watchers, and then also some other stuff I did, which was just exercising and counting calories and stuff, I always yo-yoed back up higher than I ever had been. So now, by now, it wasn't 25 pounds I needed to lose. Now it was like 40. So what was your weight around at that time? So now I was getting to like the 165 range, maybe 170 at some point. And so to just lose 10 to 12 pounds on keto and then completely plateau, it, that wasn't doing it for me. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency, and in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash ifstories, promo code ifstories10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on 
on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. And then the next chapter of my story is that I had a really stressful life event from 2016 to 2021. So my husband lost his job and he went on a five-year journey from one permanent unemployment to the next. So he had some, some work in there, but he was, there was five years between permanent employment. So that was super stressful for us. So I just completely stopped any dieting because it just wasn't the time for me to diet. And then I also had three family members pass away during that same time that we had the unemployment struggles. So yeah, it was really, really hard. So I actually got up to 180 pounds, which was heavier than any of my pregnancies. And like I mentioned before, eating sugar and ultra processed food was really just my comfort. And then when we financially settled again, and I was working through, you know, the losing the family members and stuff, I was stuck at that high weight. And I still tried some dappling with IF, but it wasn't budging. And then I say, I did keto for a few hours. <laughs> like every day for a few hours, I do keto, you know, maybe from the time I woke up to like two in the afternoon and then be like, never mind, we'll try this again tomorrow. Well, that's almost the carbohydrate addicts diet, right? Because <laughs> that was literally their plan was don't have any carbs till dinner, then have a one hour reward meal. And you know, when you look at it now, you understand it's all about keeping insulin low. Well, they didn't know how much sugar I could eat in an hour. But so then the next thing that happened, so I had a major wake up call in January 2022. My dad passed away from heart failure. And his heart failure was a direct result of type 2 diabetes, which all of his doctors fully acknowledged. It felt sudden because we knew that his heart was damaged, but we thought that maybe he had, you know, five more years to live. So it kind of happened quickly where it just failed. And something that's really pivotal to my own health journey is that my sister, Robin, who's, you know, the first if -er I mentioned in our family, she gave him a copy of Fung's Diabetes Code in 2017. And my dad actually read it and he followed it and he did OMAD and he lost 30 pounds and he reversed his type 2 diabetes such as that the doctor took him off of all of his medications and said, you no longer have diabetes, which was amazing. But the thing that's so sad is that he would had diabetes 30 years prior and that's when all the permanent heart damage happened. And it was irreversible at that point because it had been 30 years. Oh my gosh, that is really heartbreaking, Leslie. I'm so sorry to hear that. Now that also though, should act as a wake up call for anybody who's listening that's dealing with this. And you think, well, I'll just one day knuckle down and reverse everything and then I'll be fine. But you're not aware of the irreversible damage that's going on in the background. Exactly. Well, Jen, and really one in two Americans should be thinking about this because CDC says one in two Americans have either pre-diabetes or diabetes. And if you read the diabetes code, Dr. Fung goes into all of the ways that diabetes damages your body. And they all start when you have pre-diabetes, 
not when you have full-blown diabetes. They start years before your blood sugar ever gets into the diabetic range. And the interesting thing about his book is that every single thing that he mentions about how diabetes destroys your body happened to my dad. Like my dad needed to have his leg amputated from his knee down. But at that point, his heart wasn't strong enough to survive the surgery. But he had the neuropathy. He had just all the things that happened in your body while he was on medication. And that's what made me really frustrated. But when I tell this story, I always say that I use all my frustration, which happened with my dad. I take that and I move that in a positive direction because I'm going to write about health and I'm going to tell other people that this is how you need to change because of what happened to my dad. So instead of being frustrated, I'm like, okay, his death is going to have purpose because I'm going to spread the word like people have to change. And it makes me frustrated that for 30 years, so I want to back up and say, I know that some doctors are talking to patients about fasting. And I know you've interviewed some people who came to fasting from their doctor. So that's awesome. I have a GP coming up soon that someone in his office reached out to me because the whole office is doing it. And he hands out fast feast repeat to his patients apparently. But That is incredible. And that makes me so happy. But the majority of physicians are still not. And they're doing what they did to my dad, which is handing them pills. And the pill, your body continues to be destroyed. But the thing that makes me sad for my dad is if someone had told him 30, 20, or maybe even 10 years ago, the information, he would have done it. So anyway, all that to say, you know, I really want to just spread the word. Can I, I pop in there real quick? The frustrating part after reading the diabetes code, and you've read it, I've read it, and your dad read it and was like, aha, this makes so much sense, which is why he embraced it. The problem is that doctors have been trained to treat what they see. They've been trained to treat the high blood sugar. So all they care about is getting the blood sugar down because yes, the high blood sugar causes all the, you know, the damage downstream. But getting the sugar down does not solve the underlying insulin resistance. Well, and it's actually high insulin. I don't know if you remember this from the diabetes code, but it's the high insulin that does most of the damage. Well, the high insulin is connected with so many things. I didn't understand all that till I read Why We Get Sick, Dr. Benjamin Bickman, and he talked about that. But it's so easy to measure your blood sugar. We all could buy a machine that strap it to our arm and have a continuous glucose monitor or stick your finger. Anybody can get that see what your blood sugar is, it's really easy to measure that. So we're treating the thing it's easy to measure and not the real problem, which is the high levels of insulin that leads to all these issues that build up. So they're like, oh, I got the problem solved, blood sugar's down, but the root of the problem is still there. Well, and I guess the thing that makes it so sad is that so many people are in the situation that my dad is in, where they are taking the meds. And the meds are actually, in some ways, I almost feel like they're worse than nothing because they're giving you a false sense of security. Like they're making you think that this disease is being managed, but is continuing to destroy your body. What happened for me was when my dad passed away, I dusted off my keto mojo and took my blood sugar levels and I was pre-diabetic. And I am the exact age my dad was when he was diagnosed with diabetes. So I was like, I have to change. So that was like a gigantic wake up call for me because I think that the ultra processed foods and the standard American diet is like a ticket to diabetes, right? It is. And you don't have to be morbidly obese to get diabetes. You don't have to be 300 pounds. Like you can be like for my dad, he was only 30 pounds overweight. It was only the difference of 30 pounds for him being diabetes. And so for me, like I could have told myself a little story and been like, well, I'm only, 
you know, 50 pounds overweight or whatever. Other people are more, but I do like, I was like, I'm going to do this fasting thing. I'm done with dappling. <laughs> my dapple days are over. I'm going to do this fasting. And so really my biggest motivation was health at this point, not how I looked. And so this was 2022? Yeah. So this is January of 2022 is when I started doing OMAD for serious this time. <laughs> and that's when I started reading all the books. So I read your book and then I started reading, you know, I read the diabetes code and the obesity code. And then I read Benjamin Bickman, why we get sick. And I just started going through that. Mark Matson's intermittent fasting revolution has been a huge one for me too, with all the health benefits. But anyway, I got super serious, but my story is a little bit strange because, so I love hearing the stories where, you know, somebody heard about fasting and then they started doing it and then they had this linear weight loss and then they got to go. But mine is so strange. <laughs> Good. We love when they're they're not linear because, you know, the people that write in that want to be on the show are usually the ones who've had great success. If it was easy and they loved it, they're going to tell their story. But we need to hear the non-linear. We need to hear the bumpy stories, the wacky ones, right? This is a real bumpy one because I was really motivated at this point and I was reading all the books. Then I started listening to your podcast and just totally believing all of it. And I was like, I have got to spread the word to everybody. But before I can spread the word to everybody, I got to fix number one right here, you know, because I have to be an example. So can I guess something? Did you go to a really tight, short window that you did the same day, like day to day? Yes. From the beginning? I did an OMAD from the beginning. It wasn't super tight. And by the way, I wouldn't recommend that. No, I would say 21.3 and maybe 24, somewhere in there. But I was still eating a lot of sugar and processed foods in my four hours. And I can eat a lot in four hours. Especially with ultra processed foods. I could eat like so much ice cream and never be satisfied. Oh, I was like an ice cream champion during this time. So a few months went by. And so this is what happens. A few months went by and I lost no weight and also no inches at all. But I had been taking notes on your podcast and I started episode one and moved that direction because I, I like doing things in a systematic way. So I noted that I had taken some notes on Donna Doobie. And I remember that she had cut carbs. Like she had also not been able to lose weight on OMAD and she had cut carbs. And so I was like, okay, that's what I need to do. I need to cut carbs. So every single day I would say to myself, okay, this is the day that we're going to cut the carbs. But then when I would start eating, I'd be like, actually tomorrow. <laughs> get it. I like fasted all this time and tomorrow I'll cut the carbs. Today. Tomorrow I'll cut the carbs. I literally did this for months and I was like, okay, I don't know if I have the willpower to do this. I still had somehow, even though I was fasting 20 hours, I still, it didn't reset the gut microbiome and I really still had the addiction. Well, it, fasting is a, it doesn't do at all, right? You know, if you're still putting down that fuel and that's the most of what you're putting down, you got to put some different stuff down there to grow the good ones. Exactly. And also I think that I ate so much in four hours that I might've refilled my liver glycogen stores so that the next 20 hours I lived off of that because I had no ketones. It, at 20 hours, I had no ketones. And so, yeah, I think I wasn't getting into the fat burning mode and I wasn't having any non-scale victories such as appetite correction and stuff like that. So then I went back and I looked at my notes by podcast and I saw episode 26, Amy Garrison, that she didn't lose any weight on OMAD, but she lost when she switched to ADF. 
And so now, like so many people on your podcast, when I heard of ADF, I thought I'll never do ADF. That's for other people, not for me. I thought, why would anyone do that? Like, I did not think that I would ever do that. But a lot of people thought that about fasting, too when they heard about any kind of fasting. So I re-listened to episode 26 and I thought, okay, this is what I've got to do. I don't have the self-control to cut the carbs like Donna Doobie did. So I'm going to do this. So I tried the 500 calorie down day, which is what Amy did. And I also couldn't do that either because I, when I started eating 500 calories, I blew way past every single stinking time. I was like, is there a solution to me? But thank goodness I kept listening to your podcast because I was like, this has got to work and I am just going to keep trying. So six months into me doing OMAD and I still haven't lost any weight or any inches. I listened to the Fasting Method podcast, which is by two of Jason Fung's coworkers. And I listened to episode number six is Megan Ramos. 12 years ago when she was 27, she had full-blown type 2 diabetes. And she was watching her patients die of end-stage kidney failure. And a lot of them had it from diabetes. So she was terrified. So she was standing around in the break room. And at this time, Jason Frung was just a nephrologist doing his residency. And she was standing around in the break room and she heard a bunch of people laughing and making fun of Jason Fung. And they were like, he thinks that he can cure diabetes by starving people. Isn't that the silliest thing you've ever heard? And they're like, oh, that's so dumb. But she went and found him and asked him about it. So she didn't know him yet at that time? No. Oh my God, that is hilarious. I don't listen to any podcasts hardly at all. So I wouldn't have heard that. That is a great story. I don't mean to misspeak. Maybe she knew of him. Maybe she had like met him in person, but she didn't know about his fasting, but she heard them making fun of him. And so she goes and finds him and said, and she hadn't told any of her coworkers that she had like full-blown diabetes, like not pre, but full diabetes at 27. She hadn't told anyone yet. And she goes and finds him and he said, will you be my very first fasting patient? He had only thought of it in his mind. He hadn't tried it on anyone yet. And so she was the very first person to try it. So he had her work up to ADF and then she did ADF for six months and she lost 60 pounds. And at the end of six months, she had no sign of diabetes. Okay. And then get this. She had had fatty liver disease since she was age 11, diagnosed with an ultrasound and she a hundred percent reversed her fatty liver So this is 12 years ago. She's kept her weight off for 12 years and has no sign of diabetes. That's amazing. ADF is a powerful healing strategy, and it's very well-researched. And it's not something to be scared of. It just sounds scary, just like fasting sounded scary before you started. But not everyone needs to do ADF to be successful, right? And time-restricted eating or an eating window approach works for a lot of people. It worked for me. So, you know, we can't say, oh, you know, eating window won't work. But it, I think it depends on your own metabolic health. If you're someone, you know, with a family history of type 2 diabetes, like I genuinely think, you know how we have, you know, the bell curve where it shows, you know, the normal distribution of all characteristics. I think insulin release is probably on that bell curve. And so some people are on the upper end where they just pump out extra insulin. And those are the families that have the early type 2 diabetes and have have those issues more so, whereas other families, maybe naturally people pump out less insulin, like Chad, (laughs) you know, but if you've got chronic high levels of insulin and you're struggling with 
prediabetes, diabetes, alternate daily fasting could just be the ticket. Yeah. And if you've tried the daily eating window for a long time, like I did, and it just wasn't giving you that appetite correction and that break, like you weren't craving the healthier foods, that could also be a sign that maybe you need to do something a little bit more radical. And then another thing, just to go back really quick, another thing that Megan Ramos said was that she thought of her fasting days as medical treatments that she did not skip. And she said, like, if you had cancer, would you skip your chemotherapy treatments because you didn't feel like going one day? And you wouldn't. And she said she treated her fasting like that. And that gave me the inspiration to be like, okay, that's how I'm thinking about my fasting. Like, this is not a fad diet that you read about in a magazine. Like, this is a medical doctor saying, like, here's something that you medically need to do to lower your insulin. And that really was a mindset shift for me, that fasting is therapeutic for your health. And I think that if we have this idea of, I really want to look good in a bathing suit, when the fasting gets hard, you're going to think, well, should I really be caring so much about how I look in it? Like your own conscience won't approve of the reason that you're doing it. But when you realize like, no, I am doing this because if I don't, I'm going to die like my dad did. I'm going to die early. You know, then all of a sudden you're like, at first I only committed to three weeks, but I was like, I'm doing this ADF for three weeks. I don't care if the Queen of Sheba comes to visit me. <laughs> I am still fasting on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I just did the four, three. So you found that the full fast is what you needed. Full fast, no 500 calorie meal. I can't do 500 calorie meals. And this is the thing. you know, People need to experiment and see. We've got some people in the community that are masters of crafting a very satisfying 500 calorie meal that they love and they're very satisfied. But then... I am not a person who stops well either, Leslie. I haven't, it's been, I mean, it's literally been, I don't know, since 2016. I don't even know when I tried, maybe even, I don't know, when I tried to have a 500 calorie meal. I can't even think of how long ago it's been. After I read the obesity code, I dabbled in ADF a little bit, but it was, I think I did a full fast. So yeah, I don't think a 500 calorie meal would work as well for me, but it works beautifully for some people. So you have to try it to know. I think too, like when you get the therapeutic idea in your mind, like, okay, I'm doing this fasting for health, then it keeps you from being all introspective. Because like people will ask me, well, when you first started, weren't the three first three weeks so hard? Because that's a really hard adjustment phase, especially when you're breaking ultra processed food addictions and sugar addictions and stuff. And I thought, yeah, they were hard. But I also was trying to reverse a disease state. Like I said about chemotherapy, like chemotherapy is hard, but you're trying to kill cancer. You know, fasting for 36 hours is hard, but I'm trying to kill diabetes. And so it's not a time to really like follow your intuition and like navel gaze and be like, how do I feel at this moment? You're like, I'm just doing this. But then after three weeks, I kid you not, I felt amazing. And that was really all it took to break that ultra food, processed food addiction and the sugar addiction was really just three weeks. Okay, so you got to hear my weight loss though, because this is kind of crazy. So remember that I lost no weight for six months, zero on OMAD. After one week, I lost seven pounds on ADF. See, and that's people like... 
can't even believe it. I asked you at the beginning if you had been doing a really tight, short window, because that, you know, we can adapt to that if we do and more likely to plateau. I was never someone who did that. I always was having longer windows here and there. That's just the way I naturally roll. But for anyone who's like doing one meal a day really tight, that could really happen. But with ADF, you just bam, seven pounds. Seven pounds in one week, which I'm sure five of it was inflammation and water, but I didn't care. See, that shows me that my insulin was dropping because you know how high insulin is related to high inflammation. And so then I was like, okay, something's changed. And then after one month, I was down 17 pounds. I couldn't even believe it. Now I didn't keep losing 17 pounds every single month as I knew. Of course, that is not sustainable and that didn't bother me at all. But the really great thing was I started to get that appetite correction and the craving for healthier foods. I was like, oh, this is what Jin was talking about in her podcast because I don't know if I've ever in my life had any appetite correction. (laughs) Like was eating food and I was like, I can't take another bite. I can't remember that ever happening. But suddenly I was having incredible appetite correction. In fact, Fung had recommended 42 hour fast and I never did the 42 hours. I only did 40 at the most and sometimes 36 because I could not eat two meals in six hours. That's the problem. That's a very important point. Every single day, someone asks about this in the community. They'll say, I'm having an up day and I just can't eat anymore. And should I force feed myself because that feels wrong? And I'm like, well, okay, let's think about this. It's What time did you start eating? And it's always like one o'clock or, or noon. And I'm like, that's your problem. You know, if you think about what's happening when you're fasting, and you were, you know, going overnight for your second night, you're waking up, you're 36 hours fasted, your body has fully flipped that metabolic switch. You are burning fat. Your insulin is way down. Your fat stores wide open. You're just burning fat. Your body's like, all right, I'm good. I got the fat. So if you keep, if you're like, I'll just wait till I'm hungry, you might not be hungry the rest of the whole day. And so now it's 6 p.m. and you haven't eaten yet. You're not going to have time for an up day. So on the up day, don't wait till you're hungry because your body might not send you that signal. And also, we're not trying to fast as long as we can. You know, even Jason Fung is saying 42, right? He's not saying 48, go forever. But you need to open early enough to be hungry for at least two meals. And for most people, that is sometimes in the morning. And I know that's hard if you've been a time-restricted eating, one meal a day kind of person. You're not used to eating that early, but it's required because otherwise you're not going to be able to fit in the update. The research on alternate daily fasting, the update is so important. That's where the metabolic boost comes in. Yeah. And I made so, so sure that I was getting enough protein on my update. And see, now everything became easy because now I was craving healthier foods. So I didn't even want the sugar and the highly processed foods. All of a sudden, all I wanted was protein and vegetables and healthy things. So I was just so hooked to this. So I am now down to 133 from 180. So I've lost 47 pounds in eight months. And I went from a size 14 to a size two. And then I lost eight inches off of my waist. Wow. See, that's right there. That is the sign of insulin resistance and and problems. If you've got abdominal weight problems, it's prediabetes, it's diabetes. Yeah. And I'm so happy to say my insulin fasting insulin serum is 4.1. But I don't know what it was before. And I wish I did. I just didn't know back then to ask for it back when I was really unhealthy. But at least now I know that it's in a really healthy range. Oh, and my A1C is 5.0. 
I'm really into data. So I get super excited. Well, as a medical writer, right? <laughs> yeah. When I hear those numbers. And, and I love it too, because what I love more than anything is seeing, you know, you've got all these theories, like we read this book, we read this study, we have the theory, and then you see it in practice. You know, you'd read about the theories about what happens when you lower your insulin, and now you're seeing it in practice with yourself. You're like, oh, there's the theory in action. And I have changed so much the way that I eat. So I was listening to, do you know who Dr. Ted Naiman is? I do. So he is really into protein. And so he was telling us about how your body needs a certain number of amino acids every day to do repairs. And if you eat those amino acids first, it really helps with hunger. So one example that he gave was like, say, just for the sake of argument, you need about 60 grams of protein per day and you're doing OMAD. So you break your fast with a slice of pizza and that slice of pizza has 12 grams of protein, your body's going to tell you to eat another one and then another one. And you'll end up needing to eat five pieces of pizza to get to that 60 grams of protein. Doesn't he call that the protein leverage hypothesis? Yeah, the protein leverage hypothesis. That's really what's signaling your hunger. So now you've eaten five pieces of pizza and you feel like this great big pig who has no self-control, but really your body's trying to get those essential amino acids and they're called essential because you have to get them from outside your body. Your body can't create them. So he said, why don't you start eating protein first? So I thought, okay, I'm going to try this hypothesis. So one day I broke my fast about 11 a.m. with, I just ate a piece of toast and an avocado and an egg and it wasn't nearly enough. So I was still really hungry, but I had like a real like gut kind of hunger, not like sugar craving, but like gut kind of hunger where I'm like, I feel like I could eat like everything in the kitchen right now, including like a tub of ice cream and like 20 cookies and you know, a whole pizza. That's how I felt. But I said, I'm going to try this Ted Naiman thing. I'm going to eat protein first and then I'm going to allow myself to eat anything I want. So I went in the fridge and I microwaved a steak because I always cook like lots of extra foods that we can, you know, eat it and stuff. So I, I microwaved a steak and I microwaved the mashed potatoes and I ate the steak and I was so full that I actually threw the mashed potatoes away in the garbage, which I love mashed potatoes. And I used to be able to eat like mountains of them forever, but I actually threw them in the, in the garbage and didn't want anything else in the entire kitchen because I had had that protein. And when you're on ADF, I think protein is even more important than OMAD. Then I was like, okay, this actually, this protein leverage hypothesis actually works for me. So the hypothesis that he states is you will continue to be hungry until you have given your body the amount of protein that it needs. So the reason I'm saying that is People, Leslie, you know this, being around people who are like, you know, searching, if we just say, must have more protein, people are like, okay, I must have more protein. But again, this is listening to your body. Your body will let you know when you've had enough protein. Like when you had had that steak, your body said that was enough protein. And it told you. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx Service Guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. 
Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Yeah, and I don't count my protein or weigh it or measure grams or anything like that. That's where I was going with that. I don't want this to be a tool that people now are stressed about and like trying to count things again. Because the whole point of the hypothesis is your body will let you know when you've had enough protein by being satisfied. And so if you're satisfied, your body is letting you know you've had enough. So, and so that's what I started doing. So like if we were having pizza, I thought, you know what, I'm going to just microwave. I have an extra burger patty in here. I'm just going to microwave that and eat it first. And then I would do that. And then I'd be like, wait, I don't feel like eating any pizza now. And it wasn't me being like self-disciplined or anything. It was just like, I've had my protein and now I'm going to not eat any carbs or eat any sugar. Well, and I think the thing too was that I don't know if the protein hypo- leverage hypothesis works for people who are still addicted to sugar and carbs, because at this point I had already broken that sugar addiction and changed it. Well, I think it fits right in there because I really think that, you know, I, I talk about this in Fast Feast Repeat and in Cleanish, that our bodies don't count calories, they count nutrients. Protein is an example of a nutrient that your body needs, right? And so are you know things, phytochemicals. Our bodies are searching for nutrients. So putting in good food with nutrients, whether you're addicted to sugar and ultra-processed foods, the sugar and the ultra-processed foods have no nutrients. And that's one reason, not to mention that your gut is craving it and your brain is craving it and it's designed and allowed to be addictive. It works against us in about probably 10 different ways, right? It's not just because it's got a lot of carbs or fat or whatever. It's got all these other things driving us to keep eating. But one is that we're not meeting our nutritional needs. And I definitely think if someone is fighting a sugar addiction, they should try this. But I guess I just mean sometimes you need multiple fronts. Like I think I needed the ADF and I needed the protein thing. So I needed to fight it on the battle on in a number of different ways before I could overcome. Understanding why the battle's happening helps you do that. You know, you were refeeding your gut with good stuff. You were having enough protein. You were getting your insulin down. You knew what you were doing and why. And it was your medical treatment, like Megan Ramos. And this goes back to when you and I were both dappling all those years in IF and not being successful. Like, I didn't know why IF worked and why I needed to be doing it. I just didn't have any information. And then when you have that information, you're like, oh, okay, now I can do this. So I should tell the story really quick about my husband. I know. I was just going to ask you to tell it. You told it before we got started. Information really is key. And before you tell that story about your husband, I just want to say for everybody who's listening, if you're a dabbler, if you're somebody who is addicted to that creamer every morning and that's stopping you from fasting because every morning you pour that just like you were going to be low carb every day, Leslie, and then every day you're like, it's going to be tomorrow. Maybe somebody listening every day, you're like, I'm going to start fasting clean after I finish this bottle of creamer. And then you find yourself buying a new one and it just keeps going. 
here's the information where you know why you need to break that habit. It's not just so you can get into your skinny jeans. All right. So tell the story about your husband. Okay. So he tried also fasting for about six months, but he was only supposed to be doing 16-8. So he started after I was already getting all the success with ADF. And he has family history of heart disease for people who aren't very overweight at all, but he has it on both sides of his family. And he just had the gut to height ratio or his waist to height ratio was too high. So like it's supposed to be half um, your height. So like he's 72 inches. So he needs to be below 35 inches and he was 40 inches. So I was like, for your heart disease, let's work on your gut because his weight was actually at the time only 194. And so for six feet, that's not a high weight. If you just look at BMI, but the waist to height ratio is much more accurate than BMI. So I was like, babe, you know, you have heart disease in your family. Let's get your gut down. He's like, yes, let's do this. I can see from you that fasting's working. I want to do this. So all I wanted him to do was 16-8. Like we said, not everyone needs to do ADF, of course. And he only needed to lose a little, you know, five inches is not that much. So every day for like six months, he was supposed to wait until noon to eat. His window was going to be noon to 8 p.m. And every single day at like 9 or 10 a.m. in the morning, he would break his fast and he'd be like, yeah, I'm just, I'm feeling really shaky and I can't concentrate. And he's on a lot of phone calls in the morning. He's like, I have this support phone call coming up. I just can't do it. And I was like, well, I guess we'll try again tomorrow. Every time his body was getting to the end of his sugar, he was filling it back up. So he never flipped the switch. He never flipped the switch. He was in that transition part. Well, then in January, I started writing this sub stack about fasting. And just each week I focus on another health benefit just to motivate people and really bringing the science down to the level that people can understand understand. And he's my copy editor because I really need a copy editor. I don't see my own mistakes. And that's also a brilliant way to get him to read about fasting. You got to be my copy (laughs) editor. Well, and actually he was the one that encouraged me to do this because I was talking about it all the time. He's like, you got to write about this. So he was my copy editor. And as soon as he started understanding the science, and he's not even that interested in science normally, but he started being to me like, he's like, what is autophagy? And he asked me about it and I'd explained it. He's like, that is so cool. All of a sudden he started making it till noon every day. And he's now down 20 pounds and he's lost four inches off his waist. He just has one more in like, I kid you not three months. That just shows the difference right there. All he had to do was 16, eight and bam, it just worked for him. Oh, he, I knew he would never, he didn't need to do ADF or whatever. And he also has done lower carb too. This just illustrates the concept of you know, the tweak it till it's easy. So often people get stuck in the mantra of trust the process and they misunderstand what trust the process means. And trust the process doesn't mean you start doing something like you did. You started with, you know, your one meal a day and a 24 or a 21.3 and nothing happened. Six months went by, nothing was happening. And you could say, oh, I'm going to trust the process that good things are happening in my body and I'm just going to keep going. And yes, I'm sure good things were happening at a 20-hour fast that wouldn't have happened had you eaten all day, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't what your body needed. And so instead of you know, just saying, well, I guess this doesn't work for me, you tweaked it. You did something. The process is actually making changes when you need to. So trusting the process, the process includes tweaking. So how do people find your Substack? I don't want to forget to ask that. Okay, so it's just fast well. So F-A-S-T-W-E-L-L dot Substack dot com. So just type that in and it will come up. 
Perfect. We will put that in the show notes as well. Fastwell.substack.com. So you you just write about, you're using your medical writing background and finding, pulling it all together and writing about the health benefits and... Yeah, and really bringing it down to the level that people can understand because I was in a Facebook group where everybody in there was supposed to have read the obesity code to be in the group. Maybe some people did it. But what I found was that nobody understood what they had read. And I realized that people really need someone to take the science. And this is what I love to do because I'm super nerdy and I love to read all of the science, but I also like to explain it in the way that people can understand, like bring it down to their level in little snippets, like the elementary teacher, like you are just to bring it to snippets that people can actually absorb because like you and I can read the obesity code. If you have, you know, anyone who has a science background can just like absorb it and eat it up. But the average person doesn't necessarily have all of the background to be able to absorb it. I just feel like they don't remember it correctly. You don't have in in education, we call it schema, right? It's like what you already have in your brain, the knowledge you already have. And when you read something new, you connect it to old knowledge. If you don't have that schema, though, if you're putting in all brand new stuff, like if I went and tried to read a a textbook on organic chemistry. I don't have enough schema. It wouldn't connect to anything that I've got. Exactly. And I think that's what's happening with the obesity code is that people, it's too many new terms. And so they just need it to be broken. And that just makes me so happy because I was going back to my dad's story, just makes me so happy to think that I'm influencing people that could, you know, be on the road to pre-diabetes or diabetes and that I'm allowing, giving them the information they need to actually be effective. And information really is motivation. Like I was saying with my husband and also with myself, when I didn't understand what fasting was doing and why, then I couldn't be successful at it until I actually took the time to do some reading about it. So can I go over a couple of non-scale victories really quick? Please do. We don't have a ton of time left, but we could talk probably for two more hours, but tell us some of your non-scale victories. Okay. So I have had an inflammatory bladder condition. It's called interstitial cystitis, and I've had it for 26 years. <laughs> and it happened from, I had bladder infections monthly in my 20s and nobody could figure out what's wrong with me. I did all the tests and scans that you can imagine, went to specialists, ended up being put on prophylactic antibiotics for years that I just had to take. But anyway, in between the infections, I started having pain continuously that felt like an infection. And it went up and down over the years and I tried to control it. But a year ago, when I was at my highest weight ever, my IC was at its worst ever. And I think that those two were related because, you know, fat is very inflammatory. So when I started fasting, doing ADF, it got about, I would say, maybe 50 to 60% better. So my pain level went down from about between a four to six most of the time to maybe like a two or three. And then what I started doing in January is I started cutting my carbs down very, very low just as an experiment. Because now, like I think of fasting as a gateway to other kinds of health things that I now I had the ability to do that and I wasn't even enjoying that much. And when I got down to close to zero carb, my IC went away 100%. Like it is 100% gone. Isn't that so amazing? Which I didn't know if that was possible, because you can get scar tissue from 26 years of inflammation in your bladder. You know, I didn't know. And just, I hope this doesn't sound like 
TMI, but I used to have to use the restroom every 30 minutes. No, I think we, you know, we get it, right? Yeah. And now I can go three hours. Like that's actually life-changing. It is. I was just having that that thought. It is life-changing. Like you used to know where the restroom was everywhere you went, right? Exactly. And it didn't matter how little I drank. Like I couldn't drive to the airport, which is an hour and a half away without stopping. I couldn't make it through a movie. I was getting up at night. I couldn't sleep at night because I was getting up so many times. So this has been life-changing. And that's the kind of thing that I want to like spread the news to other people. Like if you're living with a chronic health condition, it's not about being 180 pounds and looking, feeling bad in a bathing suit on the beach. Like that is not what this is about. This is about like the life-changing health benefits that are available. Well, we are almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started in 60 seconds or less? Okay. I would definitely say that you can change. You are not a toddler who needs animal crackers and juice every two hours. And I know that's what the messaging out there in the world tells you is that you have to eat and you have to indulge your every little um, whim that you have, but you are capable of fasting. You just need to know why and you need to know how it works and you need to be given the right tools and you can do it. You can conquer. So that's my message. Well, Leslie, I love this episode and I can tell this is going to be one that's going to get recommended over and over again in the community because this is one I think that a lot of people need to hear. And thank you so much for sharing your story. And I'll have your sub stack linked right there in the show notes. You're so welcome. And thank you for having me on. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. Murder on My Mind, a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus, explores the circumstances leading up to the murder of two young men and the mistrials of the man accused of killing them. Up-and-coming rapper YNW Melly gained notoriety in the hip-hop world for his shocking lyrics and criminal exploits. When two of his best friends were gunned down in a drive-by shooting, investigators suspected the young rapper staged the scene. But after not one but two trials that ended in hung juries and new evidence that may place YNW Melly at the scene of the crime, his trial has been paused indefinitely. With countless twists and turns, Law and Crime covers all angles of the case and begs the question, is this young artist the victim of a witch hunt or a silver-tongued devil who's evil to the core? Listen to Murder on My Mind exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.